0: Greetings, everyone. You are listening to KYRS Medical Lake Spokane at 88.1 and 92.3 FM. And this is Art Hour with your hosts, Eric Woodard and Mike Malson. The year 2020 has been a horrible year on many levels, but certainly the negative economic impact that COVID-19 has had on artists across the globe has been immense, One of the ways you can support our local artists in Spokane is to buy local art and crafts created by our own wonderful artists. During this holiday season, Art Hour came across some amazing wood cutting boards being sold at From Here, a local store at River Park Square specializing in selling goods made from our own local artists. These wood cutting boards were made by a local craftsman named Bart Templeman. Bart was one of Art Hour's earlier interviews almost two years ago. We thought it would be a good time to replay that interview with Bart Templeman and to also help support our local artists during this holiday season of giving. So sit back and enjoy our earlier interview we had with Bart Templeman, someone whom Eric and I found out is much more than a man who makes cutting boards.
1: And welcome to Art Hour. This is KYRS Medical Lake, Spokane 88.1 and 92.3 FM. This is Eric Woodard with my host.
0: Mike Malsom.
1: Mike Malsom. Yeah. How are you? Good. Yeah? Yeah. We went to the Iron Goat last night and uh, they have a 12-ounce pour of some nitro stout. And I just got to warn you. (laughs) <laughs> That's some rocket fuel right there, mister.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, and we were there a little bit later than we thought we would Yeah, were, I think.
1: a little bit later than it should have been. <laughs> We're here with our guest uh, Bart Templeman that he's known by many names but he is Bart Templeman today. Welcome Bart. Thank you. Yeah, thanks yeah. for coming. Yeah. So, uh just quick introduction what I know and kind of what I like about this too is I don't know a lot about Bart. So, we're going to kind of learn about Bart today, but what yeah. I do know is you are the owner of Dare Designs out mm-hmm. on East Sprague and uh you make a lot of furniture that my brother-in-law seems to be addicted to kind he of does, like yeah, uh, yeah like a, a drug.
2: Quite at the gallery. You know?
1: He does. <laughs> he does. It's a little showroom yeah, for yeah. you. Uh, I know you're a musician. You've been in bands. Uh, you're in one now. You've been in some before. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I mean, the idea at this point is, I just kind of want to find out uh, how you got to where you are, the kind of things that you do. So, um, I heard you guys talking about before the show. You're from Coeur d'Alene, right?
2: I pretty much grew up there. Yeah, all of my latter years, from like sixth grade on. Yeah. What brought so. you over here? Uh. I ran away from the whole area, you know, in a state of panic, looking for some sort of art or culture or anything besides your typical <laughs> North Idaho. <laughs> Anyways, um, but uh, went to college and uh, eventually had a started a family, and you know wanted to move back here because it's uh, it's just a wonderful place, and I love the area, always have, always will, and think I'm gonna stay. Right on. How long have you been out of East Craig? Uh, six years now. Okay, and is that
1: it wasn't Didn't Swanstrom have a store on the other side of that, too? Yeah, it was
2: called the Vintage Warehouse. Yeah. Does he still have that store somewhere in town? He sells all of his stuff at Chosen now, okay. but he still uh, brings things in and separates them. And, you know, so he's Ebays still out some there. Stuff. He's still in part of the building, yeah. Gotcha. I've got uh, most of it now, but he's got one little section up front there.
0: Huh. And when you were... And when, when, oh, let me see if I can get this right.
2: So, <laughs> Live radio. Live <laughs> radio. i got four thoughts going through this. <laughs> At the
0: same time uh you said you went to college but so did did your major there um, um. Like I, I, I studied Eastern
2: out? philosophy, oh. so trying to find something job wise to do with that is uh, right. fairly pointless, as was pointed out by my parents the whole time. Right? right, of course. Like, right. What are you doing? You know. So, but why did you choose Eastern philosophy? Yeah, that's interesting. I s- switched majors. I don't know how many times, and it was just kind of my last bastion of hope and of something that was academically moving forward. my um, was in geology, anthropology, archaeology. And kind of ended up there, and uh, to my dismay, that's not moving. <laughs> it's this, as they put it, the steady collection of zeros over the last two thousand years since you know the Greeks tried to do it. But
1: <laughs> were you planning on being a professor? Or I you? wanted to
2: teach. Okay, was uh-huh. exactly what. And why did you decide not to? Um, it's just uh, when you discover what's on the inside of something, sometimes it's uh, pretty on the outside and not so pretty on the inside. So I just became kind of disenfranchised with that. And at that time, I started framing houses uh, for work during college, and that kind of was what spawned the building part. Uh, very quickly, I figured out that most construction is not really mentally very difficult. It's just a lot of work. Um, started framing and then I started to, I, I had a guy that trusted me to build a house all the way through, so you know, just did everything, did the tile, the moulding, the walls, the painting, the roof. Have you done stuff like that before? Yeah. I grew up uh, out in the Thule, so we were building stuff all the time because there was just really wasn't a lot of other things to do out there. So we were making tree forts and uh, yeah. weird motorcycles and dune buggies and whatever. So, so did you build houses for a while then? I did, then? yeah. I built quite a few spec homes down there, and uh, I got hooked up with a guy that builds airships down in Taos. And oh, so when yeah. I came back up here, I actually wanted to start doing a sort of a kind of a hybrid or a ship not completely off the grid now could you explain to everybody what an earth ship is basically they're made out of garbage uh, for the most part uh, they're self-contained uh, you don't have to heat them you don't have to cool them you can grow enough food inside for four people tropical plants banana trees whatever you want to do um, they're just as far as a, a domicile probably the smartest thing I've ever seen anyone make and of course this guy has fought tooth and nail to try to get it to where he can use the rammed earth as a real, you know, a viable thing for for construction but of course he just what do you mean by rammed earth is it uh, they fill tires with dirt oh, and That's okay. basically what your walls are it's just packed in there and then they cover that back over so he builds with thermal mass in mind and a lot of really cool concepts they uh... they're completely off the grid um... generate their own electricity capture their own water they usually use it four to five times before it's finally expelled and when it's expelled it's you know put into a garden or some kind of something they're just they're just remarkable and And they're beautiful. Absolutely stunning. So down in Talos, you said, is where you started working on this? Uh, I I met the guy through another funny story, but that would take...
1: (laughs) We've got an hour, (laughs) Mike. Tell us the story.
2: (laughs) Well, we were in a... uh, I was in a bar. This is when I was uh, doing construction and me and all the philosophy guys. Every Friday, we'd meet at uh, this certain divey little bar, and we'd (laughs) talk about really stupid stuff. I mean, talking about, like, you know, would Picard be able to beat Captain Kirk? (laughs) You know, this stuff. And we really... Big conversations about stuff, and I've been known to be um, having an inability to go over the top of everyone around me. And uh, what was his name? Michael Richards, I believe, is his name, the guy that does airships. He's kind of the same sort of person. And I kept hearing him, and he kept hearing me, and we kept looking at each other. And I didn't know who he was, but um, eventually we met up at the bar and just kind of started chatting. He asked me what I did, and I said that I build homes. And he's like, Oh, you know, I build homes too, blah, blah. And he was like, there are ships and I was like, "What you know so i I actually went up there and uh hung out with him for four days. You can volunteer to work, and he'll show you everything that he does his he this knowledge of how to put these homes together is not secret by any stretch of the imagination. He wants to show people how to do it, so I went up there and hung out with him and kind of started going down that line it's like this is just way too smart just honestly and uh... with what i do today i use a lot of reclaim materials you I know mean, an awful lot of them and that just i've always been kind of a junk guy I mean, I'm like, it it follows me everywhere I go. And and I'm a total hoarder. I have tons and tons of stuff. Yeah.
1: Well, yeah, I want to get to that. But at the same time, so you came up here and we're doing
2: I came up here and I wanted to uh, get some funding to see if I could build kind of a speculative Earthship and Mm -hmm. see... Try to show people like how smart this is. How much would it cost to do that? Oh, I think we had kind of penciled one out. It was about a two thousand square foot unit. Um, we thought we could build it for about eighty thousand. Oh, and and then was I was going to put year? all the work. And this is back in like nineteen ninety six or so, I want to say, right in there. But it was just, it was too early. The whole mm. sustainable living, um, all that stuff was just people were just not that into it. And I think that I could probably do that now, except for a few more years have slipped by and the idea <laughs> of standing on a wall and packing dirt into a tire all day long. Let's well, see, you can be the Michael Richards yeah. of it now. I, that's what I need to do. Yeah. Right? Some, yeah. some uh, people that want to do it too, but it's just, I don't know, I was just blown away by how intelligently these things were put together and it's not it, it, it's like a perfect blend blend of form and function. I mean, these things are just... When you're standing in one, it's like, seriously, I would love to live in here. It's, they're just beautiful. They're soft. They're warm. They're rounded. They're... I don't know. There's just a certain grace to them.
1: It does sound like... I mean, with all the tiny house things going on, it seems like that's kind of uh, building interest, I would think, for people to want to do
2: stuff like that. Oh, I, I think now, like I said, I think you could actually... Take a swing at that, and it would mm-hmm. totally go. And I know some people have done some some rammed earth homes around here, straw bale construction, cordwood. You know, there's a lot of different ways to put a, a house together. But what you run into is the bur- bureaucracy the and code uh, violations, the code violations in, yeah. and, and the, the, the inspectors don't want to touch anything they don't understand. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that's just the the sad part of that. When he got started, he actually bought like 640 acres, I want to say, and was going to subdivide it, do everything, and build these homes on it but he was going to have power to him he's going to have water to him everything and of course he couldn't get that passed so he's like well i guess i'll figure out how to do the power and water on my own Mm. and that's kind of how that happened for him he just kind of put his middle finger up at the man and said i'm just going to do it my own way and And we're all really fortunate that he did. He goes and does a lot of relief work after earthquakes or tsunamis and stuff and shows people how to put some sort of a a structure together out of just what you have.
1: Well, and that, I, I mean, as I'm thinking about it, the reason it maybe hasn't caught on in some ways is because it's free. I mean, it's not something that you can copyright. You don't need to buy the architectural plans. He's given it away. I mean, who's going to make money on this? It's it's going to come from the bottom up, not the top down. So, I
2: mean, picture this. He goes down to Les Schwab in Santa Fe, gets the tires. They pay him to take them. (laughs) He brings them back, fills (laughs) them with dirt, finds a bunch of old logs or reclaimed timbers, which back in that time, people weren't amassing this stuff. They were really easy to find. Lay those over the top, whatever, start putting stuff on it. And he was selling these things for millions of dollars. Wow. And, and so, um,
1: so, I mean, do you know if that's something that we could do in Spokane, or is that something that I, you know that as far as the building codes go, that it's, it wouldn't fly around here?
2: Um... It it, it all depends. Like in Boundary County, I believe in Idaho, the northernmost county, they don't really have an inspection department anymore because the people just kind of voted it out, which is a little scary. But uh, sometimes things are just too stringent. And, you know, when he offered up, he's like, put these things through earthquake tests, put them through anything you want, test it. Mm -hmm. They won't. I, I'm, have you ever seen one before, even a picture? No, of one? I
1: mean I, Bart had told me about it one time before, and then when he said, it, I was like, I remember having this conversation. I was so fascinated by yeah, it. Yeah, I'm just
0: trying to even picture that, but it'd be, so cool to have, uh, it'd be cool to have one just, you know, as a prototype for, I bet a lot of
2: people can't right. even visualize what you're talking about. Well, when you when you tell somebody it's a house made of garbage, that, yeah. you know, <laughs> what comes into their brain you know, yeah. milk cartons know. and whatever, but there's yeah. a lot of, he uses a lot of bottles. Yeah. And the bottles actually shine through, so light comes through, oh. so there's greens and yellows mm-hmm. and blues and... And, and it retains heat place. in the winter and all that? Like, you never have to heat or cool them. Hmm. Ever. They just are they, they partially the underground? Way. Uh-uh. Oh, but there's just so much mass built into them yeah. and uh, uses passive solar to heat up certain objects and things. And just the way that the water runs through it is just it's magic. Wow, pretty neat.
1: Well, see, now mm-hmm. it's become the not the art hour that's been the earthship hour. <laughs> Earth, that's fascinating yeah, stuff. Yeah, never. Yeah, so never, never. so th- that's the junk that. Started going into the Earthship right. now, and that and you came up here
2: to try to do that. Is that what you? Came I did up here when for? I moved back up here. That was my my goal. I thought this is this is what I want to do. And then what happened? Nothing. <laughs> like I said, it just it wasn't it wasn't time. The market for trying to sell these things. You know, I didn't have a bunch of money after college. Strangely enough, and uh, but I had the initiative, and I had the I had the back, and I had some knowledge of how to do this. And uh, so I was trying to find people like, hey, you know. Let's build this. I'll, I'll put it all together. But uh, help me out with some fundage here, and then we'll work it out after we sell this and see if we can get this to catch on. But I just, I you know, waved it under a bunch of noses and mm. just couldn't get get enough interest to do it. So just ended up getting a, a job. So what, what yeah. kind of job did you get? What did you do next? I worked at a wholesale lumber company. I was a lumber trader. A lumber trader? hmm What does that mean? Well, you're the guy that's purchasing. You have to know when to purchase, when not to, you mm. know, and... Uh, Moving things around as a wholesale distribution for the pretty much you know anything within 250 miles of of Spokane plus Spokane too. Yeah.
1: And how'd you get from there to Dare Designs?
2: Uh, I actually left that and uh, started a a hardwood flooring business with a friend of mine. With Brian? With Brian Young. Yeah. 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 And we did that for four or five years, and then I, um, you know, you just start getting old. That's a, a young man's occupation and uh after that I had a computer repair business. <laughs> but then computers became disposable, so I'm like, well I either start figuring out how to fix mobile phones or find something else to do. And then uh my buddy Bruce Gage from Eco Depot, he had a bunch of these oak planks in his backyard and they were eight foot long, two by twelve ish oak. Uh they were uh floorboards out of a uh, old rail cars. And there was, it was about 150 of them. So, um, he knew the guy that owned them, and, uh, I negotiated with him. I bought all of them and I started making tables out of it. And they were, I mean, the the pieces were just beaten up. They were welded on. They had stuffed drug across them, and they Mm -hmm. were just magic. So then I thought, you know, I like to build things. I'm more of a a hands guy, Mm -hmm. always kind of have been, even though I've done a lot of other things too, but, uh, I thought, you know, I wonder if I could take a swing at this. I wonder if I could just build things out of whatever and make it into a living. I have this proclivity for junk. It just, like I said, it follows follows me. I I have a family of of actual hoarders, like real hoarders, like Philip Houses type hoarders. So there's a little bit of that in there. (laughs) I'm not quite that bad, but uh, I started and I, I uh, through a, a real estate transaction had some money, so I had some safety there, and I thought, you know, it'll probably take me a year or two to get rooted and get a, a name going and get this whatever, so I've got some money for, for a lean year or two, and but I'm going to take a swing at it. I was, you know, in my mid-40s, and I thought, you know, this is kind of your last hurrah here, so... Mm-hmm. Started doing it and uh, found a couple of magic customers right off the bat that just kept buying piece after piece after piece and kind of saw the potential in what I was doing, and nobody really was able to build them like specifically what they wanted. Mm-hmm. I mean, exactly. They could, You know, you find something on Pinterest, you right. find something and you try to get something that's kind of close, but uh, you know, I could put together whatever they wanted. Plus put some of my own flair in that too, which I usually try to talk people into. It's like, oh, I'll be a little gentler on the price. If you let me have a little leeway in what's going on, I mean, I'm not going to, you know, get off the road or anything, but I might switch lanes or change some small things about it. And uh, through word of mouth, which I've, I've, I've actually never advertised, uh, the names out there enough to where I have more things coming at me than I can actually handle. And it's kind of been that way the whole time. It was really strange how fast that took hold mm-hmm. and how interested people are in it, it, having something with a little personality. When you have something that's Used or old or beat up, it just has a warmth to it. It has a feeling to it. Um, You know, you can run down to IKEA and get something that's beautifully designed, but it just doesn't have. The panache of, of something that's actual and something that's old. I've tried to uh, bring back a little bit more of the kind of the heirloom quality of, of, of having something. Don't buy something that's just beautiful but is terribly made, falls apart. Like this is something. Say you, you know, I make a lot of dining room tables. This is something that you can hand on to your kids, or kids can hand off to their kids, and so on. I mean, the only way to get rid of these things is to burn them, because I tend to to kind of radically overbuild things. I make a lot of things that are really heavy and just you know with a, with longevity in mind I mean it's just something in our culture that we just don't have anymore it's starting to come back and uh, there's people that see value in that some people that don't you know but uh and like I said, having the ability to get exactly what you want, the size you want, the personality you want.
1: So if somebody's kind of trying to visualize what you do. Tell, uh, what's a piece that you've done recently that you can talk about? Where you got the wood? Where you got the, the metal that you worked with? I mean, what? what I do what?
2: a lot of stuff out of uh, slabs which I actually get the trees from here in Spokane. I have a, a giant chainsaw with an Alaskan chainsaw mill on it so I can slab it up. I dry them out. It usually takes that's a, a year to two-year process to dry it out and then I make things out of that. Um, so a lot of the stuff, I mean it's it's really local.
0: <laughs> so when you start like your table, I'm just trying to think now for some of our like painters, they they don't necessarily know what, how this is going to turn out until uh-huh. it actually start? Is that kind of your creative process too? I you, am not a guy you...
2: that that writes anything down. I don't do any math. I yeah. don't. <laughs> I don't. I'm not a pre-planner. It's just. I just start going um generally you start out with a slab and i, I know what it's going to turn out like I've made enough things mm-hmm. where I can see what character is going to come out uh, and I generally search for pieces the more character the better i mm-hmm. uh, I've got a couple of slabs right now that somebody built a tree for it in the tree so there's four by fours that are embedded in it and that kind of stuff just I think it's cooler than school because right. it's got a story to it you know and
1: when you so, say slabs you have some massive slabs massive
2: slabs like yeah.
1: how, how what are some of the bigger ones you've been working with recently
2: Oh usually. Um, ten feet is about the length. You you don't really build too many things over that, but right. But
1: uh, you did a you did a like a conference table one time that was probably that long. I've right?
2: done some. Uh, um, I just finished a. And it was actually a slab a guy brought me. It was a walnut slab and it was twenty foot long and about four and a half feet wide, and three and a half inches thick. It was I'd never seen anything like that before. I about, and what'd you do with it? I ended up making him a table out of it, but uh, his wife had talked him down from a twenty foot table to a fourteen foot table, so I had to cut six feet off. Oh, of it and I tell you killed
1: you, huh? It's the, it's the hardest. <laughs> cut I've ever made. I,
2: <laughs> I kept, uh, I put the jig on and I'd start up the saw and i Stopped. I grabbed my cell phone and I called him. I was like, "Are you sure?" Because <laughs> right now, I mean, I'm, you have a it's, chance it's to back be no out right turning now. back in uh... just a second here. You're positive you want me to kill this thing. Oh man! Uh-huh. But it still turned out to to be a beautiful table. And honestly, when I delivered it to his place, she was right. Uh-huh. Um, so what I did was I took the six foot piece and I made that into a coffee table. Then I made a stand for that that you can actually set up at the end of the table. Set the coffee table up on the stand, and you have your twenty foot table. Uh-huh. It's just got a little seam minute but uh, it's like an extension so he won she won i won yeah
1: that's cool awesome we gotta take a little break with the station id and some stuff you're listening to kyrs medical lake spokane 88.1 and 92.3 fm Uh, get a promo for a friend of mine jenny caravos does working woman's blues a blues show on uh, sunday nights
0: with me, Jukebox Jenny, on Sundays from 6 to 8 p.m. to hear America's very own music, the blues. Let me help you shake the trouble out with a mix of funk, R&B, and blues from Delta to Chicago. You'll hear... Don't forget to shake your rump, too. I'm living for
1: the
0: it's a cocktail that will soothe the soul. Working Women's Blues, Sunday nights, 6 to 8 p.m., right here on KYRS. Art Hour receives support from Saga, the Spokane Arts Grant Award. Information online at spokanearts.org.
1: Good job, Mike. All right, there's a question that came up while you're talking about junk. And Uh I remember when I was out at your shop one time, you had the uh, center court. The hardwood center court from like an elementary school or a middle school or something, right? With the uh, with the mascot and all that on there, and I just thought, man, I wish I had a place
2: for that. Uh, yeah, I ended up making a poker table out of that for one of my long term customers. Oh, that's awesome. This woman Teresa Jackson, she her house is like it's a showcase of mine. I think she has fifteen major pieces wow. in her home. I think that happens to you a lot, doesn't it? It does. I get on a thing with some people. Another guy here, Mike. He's 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 actually beat her now. And then he bought a, a condo, so we're we're furnishing that too and putting up all kinds of stuff. But what's some
1: of the weirdest junk that has come through your spot? I mean what are what are things that you pick up that you even after you picked it up you looked at it and you go, What in the world am I gonna do with this?
2: <laughs> oh boy. Uh I've got the camel outside. That's one wonderful <laughs> Where'd thing. you get the camel? Uh, John Swanstrom and I actually liberated that from a taxidermist. And it's the, the fiberglass hollow cast that you actually stretch the skin around and stuff. And they, they had a, a pile of casts out there. And I saw the camel poking out and uh, I said, what are, you, what are you doing with that? And the guy's like, well, that's all garbage. We're like, can we have the camel? He's like, you can have all of it. So, did you take all of it? Uh, no, we got a camel and a horse. And a <laughs> What'd you do with the horse? <laughs> I, I still got the horse. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, it ended up with us driving around at like three in the morning with those things in the back of my truck. And, oh, it was, it was madness. But, uh, that's one of the weirder things I found because it's, it's fiberglass, but I mean, it's obviously the shape of a camel. You can tell exactly what it is, but it's just really weird looking. But, uh, the things that I really. I pick up is just shape. Um, it ends up being a lot of antiques because back in the olden days, if somebody were to make a lathe or some kind of a tool, they still had an aesthetic in mind. They didn't just make a base for it, they would still put style, form, curve, you know, make it beautiful, even though it was something, you know, that Ernie and Steve are going to be over there, you know, <laughs> making parts after parts. And no one, you know, for sure they don't care, but it's like anymore. It's just like with cars. You can't tell a car apart from anything else yeah, since the yeah. uh, probably the mid-60s. Things just mm-hmm. kind of morphed into right. cars. Homes have just morphed into homes. You know, it's uh, the magic of the South Hill back when they built things with, you know, widow's watches and, and eye windows and, you know, they put a, 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 a a design to it. They actually thought about, I'm going to make this look good instead of mm-hmm. just function. And which is what I, when a, when a customer comes in, I talk to them very specifically about form and function. These things don't, they're not mutually exclusive. These can operate together, um, you know. And what I'm trying to do is try to get people to live in beauty. Live, sit down at your dining room table and love it every time you sit down, and and look at it and go, this is. This is awesome, mm-hmm. and that's—it's not really very hard to achieve that. Well,
1: I mean, uh, it, it's, your story is called Dare Designs, so part of it is the design part. I think that's the
2: most Correct. important part Which of is, that. it actually really is. I mean, I do have a lot of junk. I have, you know, years of knowledge of putting things together, but the design aspect is where it, it actually gets fun. So let's say you know, people uh, see your stuff
1: and they think, "Boy, I sure would like Bart to make something for me." I mean. Do, can they just go in and look around your your shop? Absolutely, a, and say, I mean, do you have slabs
2: that just aren't being used,
1: and Tons they, of can them. Just, <laughs> they can just you just point at it and say that would look good, right? And then what what would be next?
2: Um, try to figure out something for a base. Um, if they want to use like an old tool base, that's cool. If they want to. You know, I encourage people to go on Pinterest or something like that. And, you know, if they want it to kind of have more of a rustic feel or a very modern feel or an Italian feel or whatever they want it to look like, start looking at pictures so you can start kind of narrowing it in because I I have a, a tendency to try to get people to do very spectacular things <laughs> because I want to make it, you know. Yeah.
0: So. so do you, um, have you studied other, um, you know, craftsmen and various things? You have mentioned uh, Italian. Uh-huh. Different flavors to to just um, to spark your own creativity and then make make it your own? Or One is it just coming out of your own? People is a,
2: is a guy named George Nakashima, and he does, uh, he did prim- primarily slab work, but really had an interesting design. Take it, I've never seen anybody make anything quite like most of the things you've made. And I followed this guy for years and years and years. And I guess I just assumed that, you know, Nakashima is a very Japanese name. He is a Japanese-looking... I mean, he grew up in Spokane. <laughs> <laughs> How did you come across him? Um, somebody showed me... Uh, I, I knew a guy down in uh, Albuquerque that made... Uh, uh, Kind of reclaimed furniture, the desert southwest look where you stress them with, whip them with chains, do all the <laughs> stuff, and you know, it was madness. But he showed me some of uh, Nakashima's pieces, and this is well before I even had the inkling to make furniture, but I just saw it and I was like, what? This is epic. Oh my gosh. Just what a weird design eye this guy had, and, and uber simplistic. As few pieces he could possibly use was what he went for every time, and it just, uh, I don't know. it, it, it just coming up with your own flair, like on the break that we were talking about, how a lot of times people will see one of my pieces somewhere and they'll text me and say, hey, did you make this? And it's like, I did. And it's like, it's kind of cool when somebody can tell that you did. You have some sort of a consistency, some sort of a trait. Um, I use a lot of, uh, instead of using wood dowels, I use steel rods. I embed them in wood. I think it's kind of a fun, cruel thing to do. (laughs) do But it's, you know, it's, it's unique. And a lot of times I'll hide Objects in things that I make. What do you uh, mean? I had a customer <laughs> I made him a gigantic it was a fourteen foot by five foot table that clocked in at I think eleven hundred pounds. It was oh just oh, how do you
0: transport? Like
2: that. It's on casters. Oh very yeah. heavy duty casters. <laughs> yeah. So and he just lived down Sprague for me and we had this idea of uh having him riding it down it yeah. 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 It to his house. I think that'd be hysterical. John, that <laughs> <would> be, <yeah. laughs> but I hid yeah. a tiny little baby. Uh, like a doll that was only about an inch long and a knot hole up underneath the table and <laughs> thinking that, you know, it might take 30 years for, some, for someone to find, find this, it. but somebody will eventually find it, and the other day one of the kids was crawling under the table was like, did you know there's a baby under here? And they're like, what are you talking about? <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <laughs> so he yeah. called me and was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> interesting. So, uh, yeah, I, I do a lot of things like that. I put uh, um, my stamp on things, my actual stamp, and I hide them um, and you will never find it unless you take it apart. Oh, because okay. people are always encouraging me to, you know, make a placard with your emblem on it, and, and I just I can't do it. Mm-hmm. There's something about trying to step in front of the beauty of yeah. the piece and say, "Look what I made," you know. I just the that's Nike just not or something. Yeah, yeah, that's just not my style. So I I hide things, and sometimes instead of putting my mark on it, I'll just stuck. You stick a little baby in something with some epoxy, <laughs> and it lives there forever. And so people will know yeah, it was Barts.
0: Yeah. <laughs> what, do you have any special tools that you uh, that would be different than uh, than a? Your typical shop to make the kind of furniture that you're doing?
2: I did invent a machine to flatten large slabs with because that's one of the things that's so hard when you cut, say, an eight foot long, three foot wide slab. And when you dry that, it's invariably going to twist or cup or both. And to try to get that back to a flat surface is, you know, you'd stand there with a level and a hand planer and Headphones and time <laughs> and it just takes forever. So I made a machine that I can actually put a big slab in and I can I can make it flat and then I can sand it from there, but it saves me a ton of time and I've never seen anybody made oh make a little pattern like on this. that. Yeah. <laughs> but like I said, I also do blacksmithing, I do welding and stuff like that. So I've got like a trip hammer which is kind of a interesting tool that most people have never even heard of or seen. Yeah. that just knocks the crap out of steel. If you want to flatten it out, this thing it does it in a heartbeat. <laughs>
0: so a lot of of this stuff, you've kind of created your own technique. Do you um, do you have
2: other people that work for you, or do apprenticeships? I have had both. Um, it's. Um, one of the uh, things that I tell people when they first come in there if they're talking about working in there in any capacity so you'll never be dirtier in your life <laughs> because a lot of the things you're taking like a wire wheel to something that's got mm. you know mm-hmm. a quarter-inch of rust on it and grease and the the dust from the wood and I mean look not everyone can see me but I'm, <laughs> I'm really not very clean man <laughs> We'll just say that. Well, um, we weren't going to say anything. It's also it smells fun. Yeah, yeah. It's also one of those things that you get hurt. Not like oh, you know yeah. you're going to die hurt, but I mean you pick up something that's mm-hmm. hot. You send yourself a little bit. You get slivers, and it's just part of the deal. And mm-hmm. if you can't hack that, then you're probably not in the right place. And most people say that they can. But then they start doing it, and they start, you know. Oh God, I'm really dirty. It's like, yeah, you're gonna get dirtier. No. Wait till you see what I have you do next. You know? <laughs> and with the the injury part of it, it's just one of those things that you just have to take the little knock. I mean, you're not gonna die. It's not like you're cutting fingers off or anything like that. But you get some significant slivers and. And I I still do it all the time. I'll weld something and pick it up. And it's like, I I just heated that up. (laughs) And I just tried to pick it up, you know. And then you're kind of looking at the little white singy marks on your fingers. And I've developed pretty thick skin over over Uh,
1: time. Oh, gosh. So it sounds like you just... Love just doing it from beginning to end. So this might be a hard question to answer.
2: But what's your favorite part of the process? What? I mean, is it at the beginning? The design aspect is really fun. Trying to figure out what's going to go with what, creating a symmetry, a flow, a movement. uh, You know, a sense of scale when things work with each other. And then it's crappy for quite a while because you're just sanding, cleaning. You know, people have an idea of what happens in a shop like this. Is like the swashbuckling saws running, whatever. I'm just, if, for the most part, if you come in there, I'm standing there with a grinder or a sander. Yeah. Yeah. There's tons of time doing that, like cutting the actual pieces, mm. preparing the pieces. Uh, it doesn't take that long. What takes a long time is is cleaning them and getting them, yeah. you know, beautiful and soft and smooth. That's uh, a lot of it. And then, especially with wood, when you're putting a finish on, when you've Put in all of those hours to... You know, get something so pretty, and it's still, you know, without any oil or anything on it, it's it's pretty bland. But the second you pour it on, it's just magic. I mean, Mm -hmm. it just comes jumping. That's pretty exciting.
0: Your your vocabulary is um, very aesthetic in terms of the way the way you describe stuff. Have you always been that way, or was potentially your um, philosophy, Eastern philosophy, have an influence on that, or was it vice versa? You just get attracted to things that. Um,
2: are very cerebral and around design and form. and You know, I d- I don't think that that's always been with me. Um, Eastern philosophy is something. I mean, you're not going to get anything lucrative out of that, but it, it basically yeah. controls my life. Mm-hmm. It helped me understand what I'm doing here, which is yeah. if you if you don't understand where your feet are at on what ground, you know, you're kind of lost anyways. But uh, I think it in that aspect that that has helped um, trying to understand. You know when people say the term "art or artist" or good or bad it's 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 a really weird to contextualize it's really hard to put something in a category and but but then again, the category does exist because a lot of people can look at a certain piece and say eh, it's not very good and have that consensus and then they can look at something that everybody kind of universally agrees is is good like some of your great art pieces yeah. you know and uh so it, 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 it's weird because it's, it's, it's a tricky subject. A lot of people call me an artist, and honestly, I don't think of myself as one. I, what I call myself is a maker. I make stuff. Of course, I have my own opinion on what works, what looks good, what feels good, but it's subjective. But then again, it's not.
0: <laughs> yeah, but I mean, even thinking yes.
1: back to where you're talking about, it sounds like what you said is you have the piece in your mind before you start. There's not a lot of serendipity in this. The idea is I know what I want to create kind of before I start. Right. Is that
2: correct? Well, yes, but you're always derailed and sidetracked mm-hmm. and things change. And there's been many times where I've been cleaning up a slab or whatever, whatever, and, and, and didn't realize that there was this big crack. And all of a sudden the thing kind of, a big piece of it falls off. And it's like, well... I guess we're going a little different direction now because, you know, and that's, that, those are the kind of things that Eastern philosophy really helps with is having an understanding that that's actually what life is. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my favorite sayings I've heard, and it's always resonated with me if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. <laughs> yeah. Because things just, you know, if you would have. Asked me 20 years ago what I would be doing right now, it would not be this. What do you think (laughs) it would have been? Yeah, I I don't know. (laughs) Well, back then, probably I thought I was going to be teaching philosophy to other people. But, uh, you know, like I said, things change. Uh, Life has a funny way of pulling and pushing you into places that you may or may not want to be. But uh, um, the Eastern way of thinking gives you a a certain relief in just kind of going with it. Yes. Don't fight it so hard. It's okay to not, you know, it, it there's nothing wrong with making plans, but there's nothing wrong with having them change and you know, during the course of its outcome uh, there. It's kind of the way the world works.
0: Yeah. Does now um have you always been um involved with music? Cuz Eric was saying earlier that you're in a band currently uh-huh. and have been in bands in the past. Mm-hmm. Um any crossover there?
2: No, oh, I kind of started that when I was like 17, 18 years old. I, I got into punk rock. And, and honestly, the stuff that was out back then, it's like, this is really not very hard to do.
1: What kind of stuff were you listening to?
2: Oh, I found like Dead Kennedys and Black Flag and Circle Jerks and, you know, the usual mid-80s suspects there. And it's like, boy, it's a lot of shouting, a lot of angst and anger, uh, fairly poor musicianship. Not all the way through, but some of them were pretty bad. Uh-huh. And uh, my buddy David and I, we he decided he wanted to learn to play the guitar, so we would sit and we had a... Uh, like an old box like a boom box type of thing with a little terrible like probably dollar ninety-nine condenser mic thing we'd sit on the floor he would he knew like three chords and he'd just wait on him and I would just scream nonsense oh my gosh and uh, that kind of started something and then we found a kid who neither of us actually knew but we knew he was a good drummer so he said can you come over and just like just Something. And then uh, my other friend Doug Mashad, he could actually play the guitar. So David switched to bass, which he picked up fairly quickly. And then we started playing some songs, and uh, the Lonesome Polecats was born. The Lonesome <laughs> Polecats. <laughs> wow, <laughs> love it. Yeah, we played uh, quite a bit around this area. Um, Back in the, it was the late 80s. Uh, Young Brian's, Brian Young's band Mm -hmm. and uh, Motherlode, which uh, we're actually, my new band, Lindy, is going to be opening for Oh, right on.
1: When is that show again?
2: Is it the 20th of next month, I believe? And that's
1: at the Dipper, is that right? No, it's at the PIN. Oh, it's at the pin. Yeah. Cool. That's going to be a big
2: show. I think there are going to be a lot of people there. Oh, there's going to be a ton of people there. Honestly, people out there, if you know who Motherlode is and you don't go, you're dumb. If you don't know who (laughs) they are and you don't go, you're dumb. (laughs) In my opinion, the best band that's ever come out of this city, they just had a a magic to them. Just fun. Aggressive, but fun. You know, always something, the lyrics were just, ugh, I... I don't even know what
1: to say. <laughs> He's speechless on the yeah, radio. Yeah, I am. But
2: yeah, I, you know, I'm honored to be able to uh, to open for those guys and to play with them again. That's a that's a real treat. And when yeah. is that show again? I think it's the 20th of next month. 20th of next month. I'm okay. calendar illiterate, so oh, that's just right. so you know, I have no idea. And
1: you're in Lindy. Is John Swanstrom in Lindy, Lindy Yeah, too? John's playing the
2: drum and oh. Doug Doug Mashad is playing uh, guitar. Okay, so after the Lonesome Polecats, then what? Uh... After that, I got tied up with school, no, moved, okay. left, you know, and then I did a couple of projects when I was in New Mexico and things, nothing that really came to much. But, uh, when I came back here, met up with some old friends and we started, uh... Um, uh, the Foxy Moron Project, which was with <laughs> Swanstroms and uh,
0: His name is a few Baha. other people, and it was
2: just that was we, we, it was a show to end all shows. We were going to do one show and try to make it so horrible and so distasteful, so long, so boring that people would hate it. So it was kind of performance it That was our goal. Yeah, it yeah. Was, we did it. We had a bunch of. There was a girl pitting a, a blue dog with a brush, with a police uniform on, I believe. Uh, for and we played the song called Phaedrus. It's an old 70's song. I mean, it's just hideous. And we just looped it. Mm. And she sat up there and combed that dog for like 40 minutes. And we thought people would finally just get mad and leave, but they loved it. (laughs) And then we had um, um, a a guy that did a puppet show where the puppets puked all over the audience. And we were just trying to do things that made people kind of mad, honestly. And it didn't work. You <laughs> couldn't make it work. Him mad. And then everybody was like, do it again, do <laughs> it again. <laughs> and we were like, no, we're only going to do it once. And of course, it turned into the thing. We end up doing it again. And then it just yeah. diminished after that. And then after that, we uh, took a, a little musical hiatus and then uh, started up with some old, really old mates of mine. Uh, one from the Lonesome Polecats, Doug Michaud. And uh, started a band called the Dead Sea Squirrels. And that was, that was a lot of fun. I, I thought we really were actually fairly good. Yeah, you were. Yeah. I, I remember when usually, I saw you guys yeah. and it was we you know and I always concentrate hard on on the performance. I I go watch a lot of live music and a lot of the live music is just disengaged. Where you'll have a front man, or the entire band will just kind of ignore the audience, and it's just droll, you know. And it's like one of my sayings, you know. If you can't be good, at least be be a spectacle. You know? <laughs> I've never been taught how to sing; I have no idea what I'm doing, and I don't really care. That's not yeah. that's not what I'm after. So, you know. So,
1: I, so, can you what what kind of spectacles have you
2: created as a front man for these bands? Oh, good lord! Just uh, costumes and things. I had one. Uh, we played at the Observatory one time and had. Uh, I, I found. Well, actually, a guy gave me like two boxes of these like six inch tall babies. They've had kind of cloth and a plastic head. But it was just I probably had 150 of those. So I. F- uh, Swanson found family a really awful cheap suit. And I took safety pins and pinned as many <laughs> dolls on my body as I could. And then he found an old leather, like a snowmobile mask. Like the kind that you put on to protect your nose from freezing and stuff. Oh, okay, but it was yeah. leather. So it's just really that awful looking. Uh. then I had a pair of like 1960s, uh, <laughs> like the the glasses you put on when you go into like a suntan booth. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, the look, really tight ones well, like yeah, the, goggles the kind tiny of. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, pupil things on it. And he was just hideous looking. So, uh, Chris Larson, the sound guy, gave him a whole bunch of the babies and he's in the back of the room and I told him like halfway through this, I'm going to start ripping these babies off and just pelting people with them. <laughs> and so when they start backing up to you, start hitting them from behind and then all the bartenders, I gave 10 or 15 babies too. So, I mean, there was babies a flying baby around barrage. for a half an hour. It was hysterical. There's the story for free-for-all. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. You know, and just it's, yeah. it's one of those things, that, like the, the whole participation thing i think is really important to try to get your audience to having you know a sense that they're playing with you. Mm-hmm. You know I think that's that's really important. And, and don't ignore them, especially for a frontman. My gosh, and I've watched so many guys they'll just sit there and and seriously stare at the drummer the whole time with their back to the audience mm-hmm. and
1: you're like yeah, yeah. you guys are great. No. So do you, do you have something <laughs> planned for the 20th show?
2: I've got a couple of things up my
1: sleeve. Yeah man, I, yeah, I know you're not going to yeah. divulge. I'm just thinking Yeah, that. yeah. Are you going to try to top the the su- baby suit?
2: Oh, it's one of those things you continually try to one up. Uh huh. You know, and I even talked to the guys from Motherload, and they were like, "I'm like you. You know who we are." And they're like, "Yeah, that's what we want." Like, are yeah. you sure? I just started playing the bass, so I I can't move. I can't do anything. Right oh, so now. you're playing the bass? With I'm Wendy. playing the bass. Yeah. Oh, Okay. So I have to look at my neck, and I still I still kind of miss every once in a while. Yeah. And it's a thing, and trying to sing at the same time, which I thought, ah, you know, I'll I, just sing too. Well, I think it's harder to play bass and sing than it is to play oh guitar. Gosh, it, it's hard to do anything, and it, I I. I totally underestimated the difficulty of that it's it's coming it's okay but what we're doing i mean we're three old men and we know we're old men and and you know usually when when a band starts up you get a group of people together it kind of it's kind of crappy at the beginning and kind of off and whatever but it builds and gets better over time. We actually went the other way. <laughs> <laughs> we started off really kind of weird and crappy and we're like let's just see how dumb we can make this. And so uh content wise as far as just how the music moves and everything it just just doesn't get any simpler than this and we're doing nursery rhymes john does one with a <laughs> with a, a yoga chant over the top of it and i'm singing about georgie Porgy pudding and pie i mean it's just it's ridiculous and that's kind of and, but i'm at that stage in my life where while we're playing we're looking at each other and we're actually laughing mm-hmm. and it's like you know there's something to that oh yeah for sure
1: i mean that's the best part about being in a band is you're synchronized with people i mean right. so much of our lives are we're doing our own thing, and when you're all doing the same thing at the same time, right. you realize. And when you get older, it just feels better. I mean, you appreciate it more. When you're a kid, it just right. you don't notice that. But I'm with you. You look around and you're like, wow, I feel so privileged to just be in sync with
2: these guys for a mm-hmm. while. And people are, are out there listening to it and loving <laughs> it. It's like, wow, this is really cool. Well, I'm sure you've been playing for years and years. And yeah. I know, I mean, I don't know about you, but when I was young, I mean, there was still this little glimmer in the back. It's like, yes, could I be in. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And now it's like, it's oh, I can't go. Not good. only can yeah. I not do that, I don't want to. No, you know? no, exactly. And just being a dorky thing that happens around town every once in a while, it's like, you know, gorilla and, and rabbit, rabbit and chicken. chicken. I mean, yeah. it's just, it just fills my heart with joy. Every time I see that, I cannot stop laughing. And it's just, it's fun. And they're not trying to be good. They're just trying to, it's its entertainment.
1: And they're not trying to be bad. They're just not trying either.
2: to have no, fun. No. And that's I mean, we're not you know, I'm not saying that we just don't care about musicianship at all. I mean of course we do, but it, we're not gonna let it get in the way and you know, oh, we're not so polished that we you know, we can't get up and do this thing. Like with mother there's gonna be hundreds of people. It's there. gonna be packed. That's I'm gonna, gonna be, be a horrified. Fun show. It. I, you know, it's like the first time I've ever had a sound man with an instrument. I don't uh, even know what to do. I'm yeah. just gonna say, Chris, just I, yeah. make it go.
1: That's right. Oh, nice. and, and you can cover for or whatever, uh, right. lack of musicianship with showmanship, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So we we
2: just make it fun. Yeah. Make We're, it something to you know make the crowd laugh.
1: So they have that to look forward to on March twentieth, right? Yeah. And then, uh, is do it you? Or is it April twentieth? Is it I April twentieth? It's the twentieth of April. April
2: twentieth. Okay, good. Like I said, I'm I'm seriously calendar illiterate. Oh, that's fine. That's fine. You, you could have told me Facebook. when the date was two minutes ago
1: and then <laughs> asked me right now. and like,
2: i be like, I think so.
1: Do you have pieces out there that that people can just buy that you've already made,
2: or do you do I everything don't really make very many speculative pieces just on my own? I what I've tried to do is over time. I mean, I would love to be able to just sit in there and create. With not a care in the world of anybody else's anything. Just make this piece and say, this really works. But what happens is I'll make a table, and I've done this several times, where people will be like, God, I love this thing. I want it. But it's nine foot long. I only have room for a seven footer. Mm. It's too wide. It's too something. So, things like that, you're trying to fit them into a space, and the space has to work. I mean, you don't want to walk into a dining room and feel like you can't walk around the table and, easily. And your pieces
1: you know. are so big, you, you a have A lot of them, yeah. That, yeah. Like,
2: coffee tables, things like that, you can kind of get away with a little bit more. I make a lot of smaller items too, like the cutting boards, I think you mm-hmm. have one of those. And uh so I do that stuff. I, I'll just make that. But like larger pieces, usually not. It just does I end up keeping this table for 2 years and then it, I just give it away at a discount right. to somebody who can kind of make it work. It just doesn't seem to to work. I wish I was George Nakashima. And I could just put tables together and it's mm-hmm. like and maybe over time, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, I have to build things for people that come in and commission me to do it right now, but be, over time maybe I can start making my own line of things. You know, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Recently I asked a painter what's your dream project and he said it's I want to do a mural. He wants to do a
1: mural downtown. Mm-hmm. So do you have Something that you say, I haven't tackled something like this, and it's something that I want to be able to do at some point. I've always wanted to make a throne (laughs) like an epic,
2: huge
1: throne. Now, is this all with
2: metalwork you mean, or with even with jewels? And you're talking mostly mostly, blinging it out, whatever. I don't know. I I, just something that's just. This epic thing to just sit in and put your arms up on and go yeah. And and would you keep it? (laughs) No, probably not. I, you know, it's funny. People are always like, "Oh, you probably have like the coolest furniture in the world." I don't have any of my own stuff, so you don't keep it. Do you ever make something that you go, I, I, I have to. I I wish I could keep that. I have a rule as a hoarder, where I can keep it forever. For six months because <laughs> i find things all the time it's like this is the coolest thing i've ever found i'll never find another one like this but you have to keep things moving mm-hmm. and i don't actually want to be a hoarder i just want to have a lot of cool stuff <laughs> around And so you have to kind of give yourself parameters with that
0: have, have you thought about taking your craft with wood and metal and all these used parts and um doing some sort of sculpture
2: that would be non functional you know like a as I furniture. do make sculptures I've actually made here in the last year I've made a few things that I am really proud of and, and do you still and do you keep those or do you sell those as well, well? I, I'm keeping them because I haven't found <laughs> anyone to buy them yet but see, I'd uh, be interested to see yeah what those look like I'm going to do well. art on the green this year oh. and the type of stuff okay. I make is is it it's pretty I mean, it it fits in well with... Most people that move to uh, Montana or or Idaho Mm -hmm. are usually people from elsewhere who want kind of the backwoodsy feel, Mm -hmm. not like, you know, the log beds or anything like that, but, you know, a certain rustic western, you know, a flair of of the area. Mm -hmm. And I think I'm pretty good at uh, knowing what that is (laughs) because that's kind of (laughs) where I grew up. So uh, most of the things I make are things... you, you. it's hard to just say, I'm just going to make what I want and hope someone wants it. Mm-hmm. It, 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 it. To a certain aspect, sometimes you have to think, the last sculpture I did that I, I absolutely love is a huge uh, piece of a, a cedar tree root that I yarded out of Coeur Lake on my back. <coughs> Excuse me, had to set that thing down four or five times. It was heavy, <laughs> totally waterlogged. I drug it out of the water, but it's like... For someone who lives around that lake, it's like, that's where this piece came from. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got a few other things added to it or whatever, but it's just, I love roots actually more than I like wood because they tend to have even more radical shape to them because they've had to press between rocks and, you know, do what they do to, to get things done. And out of the the Coeur d'Alene River and the St. Joe, there's a lot of cedar that comes down, especially in the mm-hmm. form of, of roots, right. you know, so. So you said you're going to do up. art on the green. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, you do bazaar every year, right? I do. I uh, do. Uh,
2: what else do you do over the course of the year? Not much. Not much. That's about it. Um, I used to do farm chicks. But people that go to farm chicks aren't there to find the things that I make. Gotcha. Um, I've always, uh, the years I did it, I always sold quite a bit of stuff, but it's just a matter of volume. You're just having so many people walk by. And a lot of it was, you know, you'd see this poor son, and he's walking behind his wife, and he's just staring at the floor like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> We've been here for two hours, and if I see one more chalk-painted thing, I'm going to die. Uh, so they end up kind of coming over to me, and it's like, oh, a reprieve, you know. So yeah. they, they come yeah. over and start talking. talking. Talking to me, and you know, and I'll sell things that way, but it's not really, um, you know, Serena's put a thing together that's very specific and is a wonderful thing, but my stuff just doesn't really fit well with that, um. We've always kind of, me and a, a there's another guy, uh, Cody Roddenborough, that lives here in town, and he does something kind of similar to me. And we're like, what if we kind of put a show like that together? would be fun.
1: Yeah. So what would be that, we got about a minute left, what would be the best way for somebody to get a hold of you, for, to find you?
2: Um... You know, look on Facebook. We're in the modern world now. I don't even really have a web page anymore. People just want to see photos. So if you look up Dare Designs on Instagram, that's where all of my current stuff is, and you can see all the things I've made, and um, that's the best way to see that. Um, Or just look up Dare Designs on your computer. And they can swing out by your shop, too? Swing in any time. Yeah. I kind of keep late hours. I never open my door before 10, and I usually don't stop until 8, 9, 10 o'clock at night. So yeah,
1: And they just know to look for the camel.
2: Look for the camel. You'll, you'll, when,
1: you, when, you, when you find it, you'll, you'll know. <laughs> you'll know. You'll know when you've got it. Bart, it was great talking to you. Thanks, Thanks for, for having coming. Me this was a lot it, of fun. Guys. Awesome.
0: It was great to know you. Cheers. Yeah.